You're tuning in to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. And today we're broadcasting from the annual meeting of the Alliance for Continuing Education in Health Professions. In this session, we will explore patient engagement. And what does an engaged patient look like? How do engaged patients impact their health outcomes? And can we do anything about the patient that we think is not fully engaged? Joining me is Pete Sheldon. He's president of Opus Science, based in Annapolis, Maryland. Pete will share his insights on tools to improve patient engagement. Welcome, Pete. We're glad you could join us today. Thanks, Alicia. Glad to be here. So let's start with a definition. What is, a, what is patient engagement? Right. And obviously, you know, it's one of those things where it depends on who you ask and when you ask them that question. You know, I think we all have a general sense of what patient engagement looks like. You know, it's someone that's active in their, in their health care. It's someone that takes ownership of their health care and, you know, follows recommendations, et cetera. But the way that we measure that is different depending on who you're talking to. I think, you know, pharmaceutical industries, you know, tends to look at patient engagement measured through adherence to, their, to drugs. You know, physicians seem to look at it as, you know, do you understand what I'm, um, you know, saying to you with regards to my recommendations for your lifestyle or your medications, et cetera. Um, and then from a patient, though, it's, you know, how do I feel about my reaction with, interaction with my healthcare provider, right? Do I feel like I understand completely what my treatments are? Do I feel like they're listening to my voice and uh, integrating my voice into the decisions that they make? So it's very different depending on what audience you're talking to. Right. So obviously an engaged patient is a more positive experience. and We can all agree on that, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what are they more likely to do if they are engaged? Right. You know, I think, you know, it's, we feel like, uh, you know, if they're, if they're engaged, right, is that A, they care, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, and that's the first piece. Second, they take ownership. They say, I am in control of my health care, right? I'm working with my physician to, to improve my health, but in, in the end of the day, I own that. And finally, I'll, t- I'll take those actions, you know, that are necessary to make sure that I maintain my health to the best of my ability. You know, those are the things that we look at, but again, that looks different for different patients, and depending on the disease state also. I'm sure. Yeah. Do you think uh, most clinicians recognize the patient when he walks in or she walks in? as either being engaged or not being engaged. Can they pick them out? Yeah, and, and sometimes, right? Obviously, there, there's uh, providers that are better at this than others. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's not, it comes down a lot of times to a gut feel that the provider has. Unfortunately, there isn't, a, you know, a standardized, validated way that we can actually assess a patient while they're in that clinic or that hospital setting and say, okay, this is someone that's actually going to follow up and take ownership of, of what we're going to talk through here today. You know, a lot of patients don't, and it, it depends on the experience of the provider, um, but also, you know, their interpersonal skills. Sure. I mean, you talk about validation of it. Is there a way to measure patient engagement? There's a metric for it? Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of proxies for patient engagement that we use as measurements. You know, the medication adherence, like I ta- spoke about, there's confidence, there's surveys that, you know, patients can take. Um, but, you know, we're really starting to work as an industry, and we've recognized that we need to come up with an actually a much more concrete and traceable, or trackable, excuse me, measure for patient engagement. What does that look like? Can we come up with an index that is easy to, you know, uh, assess with a patient, but also something that you can track over time and compare from patient to patient? And right now that does not exist. Interesting. So your experience obviously is in education, clinical education. Um, do you have an example for us where patient engagement education was utilized? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're doing a project right now um, in collaboration with the American Pharmacist Association Foundation. Um, 
And this is a project in diabetes for type 2 diabetes patients, and it's called patient credentialing. And it's, uh, it's a different type of program because we're used to talking about credentialing for physicians, right? You get credentialed as a healthcare provider, but right. this is actually credentialing the patients. And the way we do that is when they come into their pharmacy or to their primary care um, or endocrinologist um, office, they get offered um, some knowledge assessments, skills assessments, and performance assessments. And again, you know, it, it, they don't have to do them all at once. This can be done over the, uh, a period of time. But what happens is that the patients are incentivized to take these assessments because as they do better on their tests, they earn um, copay forgiveness for their drugs and, and medical supplies and even discounts on other things in, in, inside the pharmacy. So the patients are incentivized, which is great. And so we track them and we track their A1Cs and their blood pressure and their lipids over time. And we see a significant improvement for the patients that actually go through the assessment. You know, um, and I, I neglected to mention earlier, once they're assessed, we provide them with educational materials where they're uh, deficient, where, the, where they had questions that they missed. And so over time, we find that they're healthier. But what the important part of, about it is that discount on the health supplies and, and the co-pays, right? The payers have to agree to that, obviously, up front, that they'll do that for this. Sure. And they have found that they save over an average of about $1,000 per patient per year on the patients that go through that process versus the ones that don't. So it's one of those interesting things where everything is aligned. The patient is incentivized you know, financially. The providers are incentivized because we pay them for their time for assessment. And the, the payers, you know, uh, they save money in the long run. So that's an interesting um, program where we can show clear, clear results. The difficulty is, though, it involves paying patients. And there's something inside of us that feels like we shouldn't have to pay people right, in order to right. do the things that they ought to do to be healthier. But, you know, in that instance, that's what it took. Isn't it sort of a twist on pay for performance? Yes, for, for the pay for the performance for the patient. Right. Three Ps, right? Yeah, you're right. right. So what are, the, what are the clinicians saying on the outcomes of that particular program? What are they thinking about it? I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, it's been published in several uh, different journals over the last three years. You know, the results are great, and we're getting a lot of interest from payers, finally, um, to take a look at the program and also other health systems. Um, and even the pharmacy change, like Kroger is ex- Kroger Pharmacy is actually considering doing something like this nationwide. So that's all very positive, but it still comes down to that question. Are we really going to incentivize financially patients on a large scale to take their medications to make sure that they understand their disease states? And that, you know, we're not there yet. So that's something that we're working through right now. Right. And, and patient feedback so far, I mean, obviously they like it for the monetary side, but what about their health? Yeah. It, we, and, and so we also, obviously, we collect you know, anecdotal data from patients, but also, um, you know, from a survey of everyone that goes through when they're completed with the program on six months, you know, we survey them and and we see very, very positive results in that this is something concrete that they can do. Yes, it helps them financially, but they also see that, wow, my A1C went down a half a percent and my blood pressure is down also. So they see that result and they recognize it. They like it. Yeah, it's a Mm win-win. If you're just tuning in, this is Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, and we are discussing discussing patient engagement with Pete Sheldon. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. Um, Are there some other clinical areas where you think this might work well? Diabetes is obviously one where control of the disease is very much in the patient's hands. Are you seeing this being rolled out in other clinical areas? Yeah, I like that question a lot, and, and it's something we've been thinking about. Um, because we feel like as educators, right, in patient engagement, 
we ought to be able to create something, something that a patient would read or something that they would watch that would instantly, you know, again, click with them, and then all of a sudden they become an engaged patient. And I think that sometimes that may work. In oncology, in some certain situations, you get a diagnosis. Yeah, that may be, you know, something that actually the patient says, I need to do something about this, and I need to do it now. Mm -hmm. Chronic diseases like diabetes that are lifelong, you know, multiple sclerosis, those things, that types of things, it, it can be harder. But I think what we're looking at as an industry is, is I don't think it is, can we create the right tool that engages patients? I think it's, can we create a process um, over time where, again, they're exposed to this ideal of, uh, of owning, owning their health and exposed to this idea of, of making sure that they, they take ownership of that. And it's not something necessarily that they're going to read and click, but it's something that we need to build in in a systematic way into our education to patients. Right. A little bit of a root cause analysis there because you have to go back to the patient. Absolutely. And make the patient care. Yeah, and it may start when they're perfectly healthy. They don't, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, we hit them after they've been diagnosed with something, and now we want them to be engaged, but it may be something that we need to start at a much earlier age. Right. So these are, these are pretty large-scale efforts you're talking about. What about trying to get it down a little bit more on a, on a practice basis? Can clinicians think through their own tools to mm-hmm. use that might be getting patients more engaged. Yeah, I think tools and also personnel, right? I think a lot of times physicians think, all right, I've got to, when I talked with my patient, I've only got so much time, I've got to actually, do I really need to spend some time in motivating this patient and getting them to understand stuff? And yes, the answer is absolutely, but you have all these other people that interact with your patient when they walk through the door, from the front desk, you know, uh, the people that uh, are signing patients in, but obviously NPs, PAs, RNs, and the people that are talking with patients on a regular basis, there's always this opportunity for interaction. Um, you know, so starting with personnel, but also taking it out of that acute care environment. Yes, you have that period of time when the patients are there, but how are you interacting with them and soliciting feedback from them after they've left either the hospital or the office? And there's a lot of tools that people are developing right now, whether it's an app for a smartphone or things on the Internet, where they're allowing for that sort of give and take with providers. But again, we don't see the uptake um, on that as much as we would like to at this point, but I do believe that's coming. That's kind of the movement toward the the digital coach, so to speak, Mm -hmm. where you're really going to see a lot more Is that where you see the future being much more um, in place, where we're going to have apps and digital coaching? Sure, for some people. And and I think it's important that, you know, we understand that for certain demographics and for certain people that, again, get their information that way, that's perfect. The obvious easy example that we give is our teenage children. And, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, it makes a lot of sense. For my mother, probably not. And and Mm -hmm. we need to look at that and say, okay, do we just say, you know, for people that are age 50 and older, um, you know, that it's not going to work for them? I don't know if that's true. Um, so, again, it depends on the audience. It does indeed. I mean, we're seeing more and more wearables even that will give them additional feedback. Oh, sure, the Fitbits and the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're everywhere. You see them. Where are some resources that our listeners could tune into, go search out? Any uh, particular websites they might find some information on? You know, I think, you know, we take a look and we monitor a lot of things that are happening from a national level with CMS and with PCORI and some groups like that that are really, again, they're, they're interested in these, these uh, patient engagement questions. And, again, they're funding programs, you know, to help improve that. 
I think, you know, we start there, but then also looking internationally, right? It's not just here in the U.S. We feel like we got to create it here, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll expand it globally and take it to other countries. You know, there's a lot of other countries that do a pretty good job at this, you know, and, and, and I think we need to start looking at some models outside of the U.S. and see if we can actually bring those in. What are some of those that you can reference? You know, you think of some of the Scandinavian countries and some of those people, and again, it's a totally different healthcare system, and, and mm-hmm. I understand that, but, you, you know, the level of engagement with those patients is, is, tends to be much higher. Um, than it is in in U.S., just as an example. But, you know, there's others also. Right. So we are at an annual meeting that focuses a lot on continuing medical education. Are you seeing more patient engagement tools in CME these days? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm seeing more interest, Uh, yes. And and certainly there's a lot of discussion around it. I'm not sure, and again, I haven't seen the data from ACCME about, you know, the percentage of of, uh, uh, educational modules that are focused on the patient. But I will say that, you know, we're talking about it, which is good. The dialogue is, is started, and obviously there's a lot of excitement around this. But I think it's important that people don't look at it just as patient education, right? It's a process, right? You need to assess the patient, understand where they are. You've got to motivate them. You've got to empower them. Um, and, you know, these are things that, you know, over time I think that we're going to get better at. But right now I think we're still just, you know, trying to figure out what the space looks like. Right. Do you find yourself in your course of business talking to more chief patient officers in health centers? That's a movement we've seen. It is a movement. I have not had any um, uh, meetings with a chief patient officer except um, – there was a, patient, a chief advocate, chief patient advocate at a, at a payer that I was talking to about the diabetes program last month. Um, and, again, they were very interested. But I, what that shows is, again, people are starting to move money and resources towards this area where it needs to be, which is great. Right. So when you and I sit down again and say three or five years and have another talk about this, and hopefully more often than that, but where do you see it? Where, where will we be, say, three or five years out from now? Well, hopefully we will have data. You know, from this initial push, not initial push, but from this current push that we're looking at creating some programs and tools, and we have data that measures its effectiveness, right? One of the things that, you know, I think that we need to start doing is, you know, comparative effectiveness that we've done on the clinical side and the provider side, how can we do that with a patient engagement piece? Mm-hmm. So that we look back, and not necessarily that we have it figured out, but at least we have some data to start making decisions on um, right. as we move forward. And I would think, again, in that three- to five-year period, we're going to start to see that, um, you know, and hopefully that would mean 10 years from now when we have this interview, then we figure some stuff out. Then we might see a little bit more. Yeah. Absolutely. Some outcomes. No, it's been very interesting. We thank you so much for your thoughts. Any, any final words of wisdom for our listeners on getting their patients more engaged? I wish I'd figured that out at this point, other than, again, that was my one pro- project where we actually financially incent them and we pay them to do that. But I do think, you know, I think more than anything, it's a prioritization, right? Don't assume that people have the same put the same value system on health, right, that we think that they ought to. And it's not because they don't like the idea of being healthy. It's just that it may be other things that are prioritized above that at this point, things that are financial, family-related, and making sure that you incorporate that into your discussions with patients. Great. Um, That's it. Great. Pete, we greatly appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Alicia. You've been watching Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This series is co-produced with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. For more information and a full library of medical broadcasts, please visit ReachMD.com. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we'll see you next time.